Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, obviously, and it is June the 14th, 2019. We are two days away from Father's Day. So for all of you fathers out there, I hope you have a great weekend. Um, And the, the job that we do as parents, fathers and mothers, those are the most important jobs that anybody will ever have, uh, the most significant jobs. And um, so here we go. This is this is the weekend for dads to be recognized. <clears throat> Although really, it, it's so commercial. We should be recognizing what we each do for each other in our families and in our communities, 24/7, 365 days out of the year. But so be it. It's it's the time to celebrate and I guess spend some money and get the economy going. But it's really about a lot more than that. And I and I just feel compelled to make a point that as parents, we have got to be involved with politics. I know it's distasteful. There are very few politicians who are likable. There are quite a collection, both political parties. I'm not being partisan. I'm just being American. But the politics of our country, the politics of our community have a direct bearing, not only on our country, but on the future of our children and their children and generations to come. We are negligent as parents if we're not involved. So please, pardon me, please get involved. Please understand that an involvement in politics is simply an extension of the responsibilities that we bear as parents. Very important point for you to remember. You know, it's interesting. I was doing a radio show not long ago, and the host of the program asked me what my proudest accomplishment was, and I suspect that he was thinking about what cases I might have worked on. And I worked on some truly uh, interesting cases. I'd like to believe that um, I made a difference, that my colleagues and I made a difference out there. But I said my most important accomplishment was to be the father to four of the the best kids in the world. I'm very proud of my children. I'm very proud of my two grandchildren. And, And that, for me, is what makes me most proud, to be what I hope is a good dad. Um, so, again, part of being a good parent is being involved, educating yourself on the issues, holding the politicians accountable. And remember, this is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people, as President Lincoln so articulately uh, explained it. Well, if this is a government by the people, how in the world do we allow these politicians to put themselves on pedestals? They are supposed to be one of us. You'd never know it. You would never know it listening to the politically elite. But I I have to convey one story. Uh, As you probably, hopefully know, I write for Front Page Magazine. It's sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I've been writing for them for a number of years, and that's something that I am proud of, uh, to be involved with uh, David Horowitz and the Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. I hope you check my articles out. In fact, one of my articles is something that I've spoken about before the idea that politicians get away scot-free when they impede law enforcement and people die. But if you're a law enforcement officer and fail to do your job, you could be prosecuted, as is the case with that sheriff's deputy in Florida where the Parkland shooting took place just over a year ago. 17 were killed. And this guy has been arrested and charged with 11 crimes, seven of which are felonies, if I have the numbers correct, because of his failure to act, people died. Malfeasance is a crime. They're guilty of malfeasance. Sanctuary cities force police officers and sheriffs to go against the law, go against their oaths of office, go against the Constitution of the United States. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. Politicians need to bear responsibility. But to go back to to the reason that I'm mentioning this, I had the privilege of being part of a panel discussion in Florida sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And on the panel with me, this was, I believe, in 2014, 
Senator Jeff Sessions, a real good guy. I'm not sure why he had the falling out with President Trump, but I'm a big fan of Jeff Sessions. I've known him for some time, and I've been an admirer of his. Uh, and I'm not going to speculate about what happened, what didn't happen, but he's one of the strongest voices that we had in the Senate for effective immigration law enforcement. Let me be real clear about that. And so I was on this panel discussion with Jeff Sessions, another congressman, John Fleming, and Louis Gohmert from Texas. And when I met Louis Gohmert, I said to him, you know, I hope I don't offend you, but my practice is to address political representatives by their first names, not by their title. I said, because I like to establish the employer-employee relationship as soon as I can. And he laughed. And he said to me, Mr. Cutler, you're exactly right. He said, when I was a judge, that is to say, when Louis Gohmert was a judge, he insisted on having the members of the community refer to him as judge because he needed to put up a barrier between himself and the members of the community that he might ultimately have to sit in judgment of. So it's an impossible position unless you can insulate yourself. He said, so that's the tough thing about being a judge. You need to insulate yourself from the members of the community where you live. And I fully agree and I fully understand that. I have friends who are judges and we all have that same problem. You know, you have to have some insulation so that you can be dispassionate, objective, and fair. Lady Justice is supposed to wear a blindfold. Not so much with what we've been seeing lately with, with President Trump and the way that the Democrats have been attacking him and anybody affiliated with him. And by the way, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm not being partisan. I'm just observing what's going on as an American, and I'm trying to be objective, uh, and I'm very disturbed by lots of things I've been seeing. But he said to me, but as a representative, he said, how in the world can I represent my neighbors if I put myself on a pedestal and somehow think I'm above them? And he said to me, Mr. Cutler, he says, you need to know that I am not better or, or, or smarter than my neighbors. He said, many of my neighbors might be smarter than I am. I would take issue with that. Louis Goldman is one smart man. But he said, I insist on people calling me Louis. It's the name my parents gave me. He said, I love my parents. And I certainly love the name they gave me. So please, Mr. Cutler, you have got to call me Louie. I said, I'll do it with one provision. You got to stop calling me Mr. Cutler. You need to call me Mike. And we shook hands. And I tell you the anecdote, because we are putting these politicians on the pedestals. <clears throat> Washington, as somebody uh, sagely pointed out with a bit of twisted humor, Washington has become Hollywood for ugly people. These folks think that they're celebrities, and all they're supposed to be doing is representing the best interests of America and Americans. But if you look around, don't hold your breath. You'll turn purple before that happens. Anyway, I thank you for joining me today, uh, and I thank you for uh, being a part of my program, because I've been a man on a mission ever since the ashes of 9-11 landed on my home. My neighbors died. And it was a, a, a dreadful day, <clears throat> pardon me, and it was a day that could have been and should have been prevented. We were attacked in 1993, and everybody realized that the terrorist Cansey, who shot up the CIA in January 93, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, fled the country. He was brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead. He was able to game the immigration system. The thugs who bombed the Trade Center in 93 that killed six, injured over 1,000, almost brought the tower down sideways and inflicted a half billion of damages, they all gamed the immigration system. <clears throat> and you would have thought after that there would have been sufficient incentives for the Clinton administration and the Congress to act decisively <clears throat> to, to plug the holes that these pieces of work slimed their way through so they could carry out deadly attacks. And we've seen it with other terrorist attacks. But unfortunately, the politicians don't represent us. They represent the people who are their major campaign contributors, and they have to march to the beat of the drum <clears throat> that the leadership of their parties beat. So when you have John Boehner and, and, and others in the Republican Party kowtowing to uh, Paul Ryan kowtowing to the Chamber of Commerce, the United States Chamber of Commerce, I would argue, is the most anti-American organization, the side of the Communist Party. They want to flood America with as many foreign workers as possible, drive down wages. It's okay to displace Americans. And if people lose their lives, 
If drugs pour across the border, what the hell? It's just another day in the, in the life of America. This is such a betrayal. I don't know where to begin. But I will tell you that I think I would completely explode if I didn't have this program and the opportunities afforded me to be on other programs to share my perspectives. This morning, um, I was on with Dennis Michael Lynch doing a podcast for him for his website, dmlnews.com. A couple of days ago, I was in Fox and Friends First at the ungodly hour of 5.30 in the morning, and I had just driven in that the night before because I delivered a a speech. Uh, I work with the Speakers Bureau in Washington, and they do seminars for the military and intelligence services. It it was really quite a privilege to address Air Force and Navy brass in Washington at the Capitol Hill Club. Rushed home did Fox and Friends first. I've done several interviews on I-24 News. It's a cable news global network based in Tel Aviv, but they have a news bureau here in Manhattan. And then I did some other radio programs. And I'm doing all of this for one purpose and one purpose alone, to try to provide my perspectives that are based on decades of experience, good and bad, where immigration law enforcement is concerned. You can't protect the country if you have no idea who is inside your country. We lock our doors at night, not because we're antisocial, but because we're careful, we're prudent. Our immigration laws are simply a national equivalent of the responsible homeowner who looks carefully through the peephole before admitting the stranger. But the accusations are flying like you wouldn't believe And whether it's the ACLU or the Democrats or the Chamber of Commerce or all these special interest groups, if you dare stand up and say, we've got to be careful, we've got to stop hurting ourselves, you will be called a racist, a xenophobe, a nativist, and the list goes on. I grew up in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's a tough place. You learn how to handle yourself in schoolyard fistfights, and I had my share. I was a scrawny kid. My dad insisted that I go to a gym workout and learn how to defend myself for the day that he wouldn't be there. And that day came far sooner than I I wish that it had. Uh, Father's Day always makes me think of my dad, who died at the age of 57, uh, in part because he worked in the Navy shipyard during the Second World War trying to defend America. He wanted to go into the military because the Sullivan brothers, they wouldn't have him. Because his brother, the sole surviving last other member of the male of our family, the Cutler family, was already in the Army Air Corps. So they would not have my dad, and he tried repeatedly to get in. He wanted desperately to go fight and defend America. So because he was a plumber, a tradesman, and boy, I have tremendous respect for tradesmen. They actually do something in the real world. Um, he worked in the Navy shipyards helping to repair and build war vessels, battleships, and aircraft carriers, and so forth, because at least he told me if he couldn't go fight the bad guys, he could help put those ships together and repair those ships that went after our enemies. We have a responsibility to our country, to our our fellow citizens, and to our children, if we're blessed to be parents, to defend America, to ensure its future. We have millions of people inside our country right now, and we are clueless as to who they are. And President Trump seems to have struck a deal with Mexico. We'll see how it holds up. But the idea is we can't flood America with people whose identities can't be determined and who will overburden America's infrastructures. You know, it's not just about having someone come in and live in an apartment. I want everyone to think about this. I've probably made this point before. But everybody in America, whether you're here permanently, temporarily, if you're a tourist or a resident or a citizen, we all have an ecological footprint. We all need water and food, and we go to the bathroom, and we need electricity. And in the wintertime, we need to be kept warm, whether it's through fuel oil or gas heat or electricity. We get on trains and drive cars on the highways, all this infrastructure. The schools are overcrowded, the hospitals are overcrowded, and we keep bringing more people in. And, you know, if you look at how airlines are run, I remember years ago when I became a new inspector at Kennedy Airport. I was an immigration inspector starting in 1971. Airlines treated people like guests. They had nice, comfortable seats and 
wonderful food and everything was nice. People felt pampered on the airplane. I mean, we joked about airplane food unless you were in first class, but the point was you were taken care of. And over time, the seats got a little bit smaller and the spaces between the seats got a little bit more cramped. And then the seats got a little bit smaller again and you lost a little bit more leg room. And, and, and so now if you, you know, you, you're lucky if you get a can of soda on an airplane and a bag of peanuts or a couple of crackers. If you want anything else, you're going to have to pay and pay significantly for it. And they want to make you pay if you bring in a carry-on into the cabin. You know, you used to be able to check, check luggage for free. Oh, no, no, we're not going to do that. And now the airlines are talking about weighing the passengers, weighing them. They're going to charge you by the pound, I guess. Think about this. Well, that's what America is now doing throughout the United States. You know, it's not that the seats are getting smaller, but the roads are getting more congested. The buses and trains are getting more crowded. It's a problem. And these are self-inflicted wounds. We are admitting more people than the number of new jobs we're creating. We're also admitting lots of foreign students who don't speak English, some money that should be going to help American kids get a better education is being spent on English as a second language. This is crazy. You take care of your own children first. You don't give money to charity when your own kids go to bed hungry at night. And everyone says, well, you know, there are people suffering around the world, and I know that. But the world has lots of people, over 7 billion people, and probably more than half living below what any reasonable person would call the poverty line. So my question is simple. Should we bring a few billion people to the United States to help them? Because I'll tell you, if we try that, it's kind of like overcrowding a lifeboat and the boat capsizes and everyone winds up in the frigid shark-infested waters. America has finite resources. Look at the national debt going through the roof. Look at the way that schools are overcrowded. And they lack school supplies because the burdens that are being created by a massive influx of students is eroding educational opportunities for American kids. If we aren't careful, America will lose its position of preeminence in the world. And this isn't like, well, okay, so the Yankees lose the World Series and Boston Red Sox win. This is a problem because the countries waiting in the wings are our adversaries. They don't share our values. Not at all. You look at Iran, it's a rogue state, the biggest sponsor of terrorism in the world. We finally have a president confronting them, and look what they've done. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has firmly pointed the finger and said, yes, they're the ones who set off those bombs, those uh, explosives on those tankers in the Middle East. And I've spoken about it on this program before. Iran, through Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations, and their Quds forces, their shock troops, are working hand-in-glove with human traffickers and drug smugglers throughout Latin America. We've arrested in the United States. The FBI and Homeland Security has arrested Iranian sleeper agents operating in the United States, scoping out locations, gathering materials, and putting plans into motion where if they were called into action, they could carry out mass casualty attacks. This is a serious problem. So you've got Iran breathing down our necks. You have China doing their thing. And China, by the way, is a totalitarian country. It's a communist country. They're using all kinds of technology, facial recognition technology and so forth, to ratchet down on their citizens. And Hong Kong is having riots, if you've been paying attention, because China wants the ability to extradite anybody that shows up in Hong Kong, whether they're citizens of Hong Kong or not. doesn't matter. Or citizens of China. doesn't matter. In theory, an American could go to Hong Kong, and if China gets its way, they'll be able to extradite that American if they make an accusation that the American committed a crime. And they don't have the same concept of criminal justice we do. Not a good situation. China is on the move. They are aggressive. They are our adversaries. Why in the world Herbert Walker Bush, our, the older Bush president, Bush, gave the most favored trade status is something I'll never understand. Clinton ran on the promise that he would end that, but didn't. Most favored trade status. They hack our computers. They're building their military. 
They commit espionage so frequently, the intelligence services are giving it a nickname. They call it Chinese takeout. And we're educating these people that are threatening us. This is insanity. You've got Russia trying to reconstitute itself. And for the first time in I don't know how long, Russia is now coordinating its activities with China. So you could say that Russia is not a communist country. Putin was KGB, and I have a philosophy, once KGB, always KGB, and I'm not alone in that. I have many friends who were in the FBI, and they would tell you the exact same thing. Once KGB, always KGB. That's who's waiting in the wings. And let's throw in for good measure the drug cartels and terrorist organizations that want to bring America to its knees and change our way of life right here within our borders. So how in the world we don't act to strengthen ourselves and equip our children so they can be successful and productive adults when they grow up and in so doing bolster America's security blows my mind. It blows my mind. This is not going to end well if we don't terminate this trajectory that we are on. Because this trajectory, left unchecked, will take us off the cliff, over the cliff. And there's no do-overs, and there's no getting it back. You know, I, I had many issues with Ronald Reagan. He gave us the first amnesty, and cre- he created the visa waiver program, many things I wasn't happy with. And I have conservative friends who, who idolize um, President Reagan. That's fine. We can disagree. And as Americans, we should disagree. How did we get to the point where you're not allowed to disagree with each other anymore? This is a threat, a direct threat on the First Amendment. And if you lose the First Amendment, the others don't matter. That's why the the founding fathers made the First Amendment freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. If you don't have those freedoms, you're not free. Very simple. Very, very simple. So, um, but, But Ronald Reagan did things that I wasn't particularly crazy about. But we've seen this from one side of the aisle to the other side of the aisle. Collusion exists between the two parties where open borders are concerned, you see. But Ronald Reagan said something that bears remembering and repeating to yourself frequently. Think about it. Freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. Democracy is never more than one generation from extinction. We're going down a very slippery slope. We have people who want to rewrite history. who are vilifying law enforcement, who are creating anarchy. Anarchy. Anything goes. You're an illegal alien. Good for you. You want to come here? That's great. The news will simply call you an immigrant. I believe it was CBS News that said that the DREAM Act that the House passed last week or two weeks ago would give citizenship to the immigrants. Stop and think of that one. Congress just voted to give immigrants United States citizenship, put them on the path to citizenship. Here's what's wrong with that. Immigrants have had that right to become citizens forever. What they're really talking about, if you read the article, is putting illegal aliens on the path to citizenship. But that's not what they're calling them. They're calling them immigrants, not undocumented, not illegal immigrants. That was the headline. Congress seeks citizenship for immigrants. Really? Do you understand how they have obfuscated the truth, twisted reality into a pretzel? Uh, I enjoy being on uh, Graham Ledger's program at One American News Network. I think Graham is a really good journalist. It's always great being on his program. And for those of you who are familiar with his show, and I suggest you watch it if you haven't seen it, One American News Network by the Herring Broadcast Network, And he always starts the show by saying something to the effect, the doors to the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in. I really wish he would change that statement. We're not talking about PC police, folks. This is the thought police. I think I've told you this in the past. I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to say it on every show. Get a copy of 1984 written by George Orwell. You will understand what's going on. The news media have become the ministry of truth. This is newspeak. This is not being politically correct. It's the artful use and deceptive use of language to alter the public understanding of critical issues. The term alien is not a pejorative. It's not an insult. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. The problem with the word alien for them is it provides clarity. 
And wherever I go, people say, oh, I don't want to say alien. I don't want to offend anyone. Folks, you should be offended that you're being censored. That should scare the hell out of you. Because dictatorships always, always, always start with controlling language and the flow of information. When a government is overthrown, when there's a coup d'etat, generally the rebels first seize the methods of communication, radio, television, newspapers. And they put into place propaganda mechanisms so that they control the information that's given to their people to control them with an iron fist. 1984. Please read it. You'll understand everything. Please stop using language out of a fear that you're going to offend somebody. You should be offended. You should be pissed that the powers that be, whether the corporate powers or the government powers, are doing everything in their power to deprive all of us of the First Amendment. It is under attack. It is under attack. Make no, don't make no mistake about it. And when people say, well, it's hate speech, who is the arbiter that decides what's hate speech? The word alien, I'll say it again. This is the definition that is in the Immigration and Nationality Act. That's what I'm quoting. Alien, any person that is citizen or national of the United States. It doesn't say people who smell bad, people who are ugly, people who are stupid, people who are immoral. If that's what it said, I would say, boy, that's terrible. That's not what it says. It simply says any alien is a person who is not a citizen or national of the United States. If we go to Canada, we become aliens. If we go to Mexico, we become aliens. Why? Unless we're dual nationals. We are not a citizen or national of those countries, so that means under international law, we become an alien once we leave the confines of the borders of the United States of America. And when somebody tries to deprive you of clarity of understanding an issue, we use a term to describe them. They are con artists. They are swindlers. And they're trying to swindle us out of our freedom and they're trying to swindle our children out of their share of the American dream, ironically. By the way, the word alien is part of the DREAM Act, alien minors. So this god-awful word we're never supposed to use is an integral part of a law that numerous times did not pass until now the Congress passed an enhanced DREAM Act while nobody was looking. Boom, let's slide this sucker in there. Now, it's not going to get through the Senate. Hopefully, although I don't trust those people any more than I could throw my house. Remember the eight gangsters? I mean the gang of eight? Please understand. They're all in on this, this deal. This is where the collusion is. But what this is also doing is firing the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. I guarantee you they watch very closely what's happening here. The House passed the DREAM Act. We're going to legalize millions of people. Wow, here's my chance. Feet don't fail me now, and they're charging for the border because they are convinced, thanks to the Democrats, that at some point they're going to get what they want, lawful status, so they can work here and send money home. And everyone says, isn't that nice? These people are desperate for a job. Stop a moment. We have a limited number of jobs. You give a job to an illegal alien, you're taking a job away from an American. We don't have a shortage of workers. The Chamber of Commerce wants you to believe there's a shortage. There's no shortage. There's a shortage of Americans who will work for crappy wages under terrible conditions. That's the shortage. So if you want to employ Americans, God knows you might have to pay them a reasonable wage. Holy smoke, what are they thinking? Slavery went out of fashion a while back, you know? This is about cheap labor and exploitation. This isn't about compassion, folks. This is part of the con. The other part of the con, oh, the immigration laws are insignificant. It's, it's, it's civil law. It's administrative law. Yeah, there are civil laws that we enforce when you're an immigration officer, but there's also criminal statutes. And those laws are real hefty, the penalties. Reentry after deportation for a criminal, 20 years in jail. Don't tell me that's civil law. If you're an alien smuggler, 
and one of those that you're bringing into the country should die, you're facing life in jail. Administrative law, civil law, really? It's lie after lie. Oh, those folks are doing the work Americans won't do. No, those folks are working for wages and under conditions no American would tolerate. They're exceptional because they work for exceptionally lousy wages under exceptionally often illegal adverse conditions. It's lie after lie, both political parties. That's where the collusion is. And this morning when when Dennis reached out to me just before I did the podcast, and I've been following the story, but his motor was running. He said, Mike, do you know that the mayor of New York is advocating to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens? And I said, here we go again. And I, I saw this push. Now, I'll give you a little bit of background on the issue. For the record, so there's no shock, and I'm sure if you know me, you're not going to be shocked. I am 101% opposed to providing driver's licenses for illegal aliens. So let's get that out of the way. A number of years ago, Elliot Spitzer was the governor before he was caught cavorting with hookers. You know, the sheriff of Wall Street, the tough law guy hanging out with hookers. You got to love it. Him and Anthony Weenie and all these other, all the flotsam and jetsam that, that makes it into politics. God help us. All these are leaders, folks. Moral leadership, that's what we've got here. So there was a hearing in the New York State Senate about providing driver's licenses. I was invited to testify. I drove up to Albany. I just came home from a, from a speaking engagement. I think I was in Texas, wherever I was. Went up to Albany, and it was remarkable because the commissioner for motor vehicles was testifying, and he went on forever. I think he must have testified for five hours. I was sitting next to the previous motor vehicle commissioner who went berserk because the current commissioner at the time, Spitzer's commissioner, made a statement that's going to leave you slack jaw, I promise you. If you remember when you first took driver's education, maybe your parents sat you down and they gave you the keys to the family car. Maybe your teachers talked to you about driver's ed. And they always taught us, and judges will tell you, driving is a privilege. Driving is a privilege, okay? How many times have you heard driving is a privilege? That commissioner advocating to give illegal aliens driver's licenses said driving is not the privilege you've been told it is. Driving, ladies and gentlemen, is a necessity. Driving is a necessity. And in fact, what was remarkable, that expression, driving is a necessity, is now again rearing its ugly head, just like the undocumented immigrant, you know. Now the driving is a necessity soundbite is showing up in newspapers all over New York. Driving is a necessity. The immigrants need to drive. These aren't immigrants. They're illegal aliens. But they need to drive because driving is a necessity. It's not a privilege. It's a necessity. The previous motor vehicle commissioner was ready to jump to his feet. I had to hold him down. I said, you're going to get yourself jammed up. Don't get out of your seat. He said, how could he say that? I said, well, if you watch his mouth, if it's moving, he's lying. The guy is obviously a pathological liar and a clown, and he's dangerous. But he was the commissioner under Mr. Spitzer, the guy that likes to hang out with hookers. What do you expect? So... I finally was given the opportunity to speak. They cut my my time down to nothing. And there was a video of the hearing. I was promised that I would have a copy of the video. It never happened. And I'll tell you why it didn't happen. Because as I was told that you have, I think they gave me five minutes. I was supposed to have at least 30 minutes. But they said to me, five minutes, go for it. Lots of luck. So what I said was this. The two biggest arguments. Again, before giving driver's licenses to the illegal aliens boils down to they're going to drive anyway. So if you give them licenses, they'll be able to get insurance. They'll know how to drive properly. They will drive safely. And this is good for everybody. They need to drive. It's a necessity. And now they're going to drive safely because we're giving them licenses. Since they're going to drive anyway, even without a license, they're going to drive anyway. Remarkable. The other argument that we were hearing is that 
It's the federal government's fault that the illegal aliens are living in New York and elsewhere. The states are not responsible for the failures of the federal government, so we should not be getting involved in New York State when the federal government fails. Those are the two arguments. And I said, so let's take the first one. They, the illegals, are going to drive anyway. I said, you know, criminals violate the laws anyway. And if you don't believe it, go to the jails. You get to meet them. And if you really want to be entertained, that's why I think people like to watch these cop programs. They're very popular on cable, you know, cops. A lot of these people were really very creative so that they were eligible for free room and board at the Gray Bar Inn, right? So look at it this way. Illegals are going to drive anyway. Convicted felons are going to carry firearms anyway. So by that crazy reasoning, we ought to be giving firearms training and carry permits to convicted felons. Think about it. If you could train these convicted felons who are going to carry firearms anyway, you could probably get them to shoot with greater accuracy. If you could get them to shoot with greater accuracy, they would be much less likely to hit an innocent bystander if they were involved in a shootout or a drive-by. And maybe through rigorous training, you could convince them to use trigger locks between drive-bys and bank robberies. Now think how much safer we would all be in New York State if we gave carry permits to convicted felons and drug dealers. The Democrats weren't happy with me. The Republicans were, were howling at this point, by the way. And then I said, let's take on the issue about the federal government failing in its responsibilities to secure the border. It has. And I've testified before numerous hearings about multiple failures of the immigration system. And I said, so if members of the august legislative body, the New York State Senate, truly believe that when the feds fail to do the job, the states and local governments should not do anything to back them up, that's kind of perplexing. You know, but most people don't know is many of the FBI's 10 most wanted don't get arrested by the FBI they get arrested by local cops doing routine police work. They, they grab a guy running a red light. They run the guy's fingerprints and bango. There's, there's a whole bunch of warrants, and the FBI's got them on the 10 most wanted list. Uh, I was involved with the cops. They stopped some two guys running red lights. They were speeding, driving recklessly. One motorist gets out of the car, punches the cop. You had to know the cop. He would have made Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a weakling. He decked the guy, and a gun popped out of the guy's waistband. They were from Trinidad. It's another myth, by the way. This isn't about Latinos, okay? This is about aliens, people from every other country on the planet except America. So the gun popped out of the waistband, and when I ran the fingerprints, we figured out that these guys were about to go on the 10 most wanted list because they had carried out dozens of bank robberies, and a number of people had been shot, and some had died because of their violence. So these two guys were a crime wave unto themselves. But because the police ran the fingerprints, figured out who they were, I, I got on the horn that night with the FBI. The Joint Bank Robbery Task Force came down. My partner and I got very nice letters because there was actually a Joint Bank Robbery Task Force, New York City Police and the FBI going after bank robbers. This is how law enforcement is supposed to work. But here we're being told when the feds fail, the state shouldn't be involved. They said, so if you really believe that, I have a proposal. I said, I want to see a show of hands by all these members of the New York State Senate. This is what I said to them. How many of you agree with that notion that when the feds fail to do the job, the state should do nothing to help them? Because if you believe that, I would argue that the bulk of the narcotics being peddled on street corners across not only New York State but the country are coming into the United States from outside the country because the federal government is failing. So if we're going to be consistent and you recognize that human traffickers, human smugglers, alien smugglers, very often are also drug smugglers frequently forcing the aliens to carry drugs on them, sometimes in them. They make them swallow balloons or condoms filled with narcotics. There was just an overdose on an airplane. I think last week reported in the news some of those condoms or balloons or whatever they use burst 
and the guy overdosed on the airplane. So drug smugglers, alien smugglers, they're one and the same. If you don't think when aliens are illegally in the country because the feds failed that New York State should not do anything about it, then I want to know how many are willing to bring an immediate halt to all narcotics investigations by New York State and by local municipalities since those drugs are primarily also present because the federal government has failed to secure the borders. I thought it was a pretty good argument. And it was kind of interesting because the Democrats jumped to their feet and it was almost as though they had rehearsed it. They marched out of the hearing room. They marched right out of the hearing room. And that was the end of my testimony. And not surprisingly, the videotape vanished. They couldn't find the tape. They couldn't find the tape. It was probably up there with Nixon's tape and Hillary's emails these days. Couldn't find the tape. It's missing in action. This is the lunacy. Driver's licenses for illegal aliens. Well, we've got to go beyond that today, though. We have to put this really into context. That's what I want to do now. If you've been following what's going on, um, Again, I mentioned the problem we're having with Iran. They're involved with bringing in sleeper agents and so forth. There are terrorists in the Middle East operating. We have sleeper agents in the United States. And, yes, not everybody who's here illegally is a terrorist. I had some guy tell me that on a radio program. And what's the likelihood that the 95-year-old woman in a wheelchair getting on an airplane is going to hijack the airplane? Well, that little six-year-old boy is about to overpower the flight crew. But we all go through the screening process, don't we? In fact, when I was in Fox and Friends, I said something, uh, and and it it was interesting because, you know, you you got a real visceral reaction. I said nobody, I believe, that in fact, Jillian, the young lady who was the the co-host for for the program, uh, you know, really kind of exclaimed loudly because I said, would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneak past TSA? And, And she kind of, you know, jumped up and went, wow. And I said, okay, so if you wouldn't be willing to get on an airplane if you saw people sneak past TSA and the screening process, why are we as Americans being forced to live among millions of aliens who snuck past a similar vetting process conducted at ports of entry? And it was like that light bulb moment. I I looked around at the camera crew and the the lighting people and the producer and the director and the sound guy. You know, their eyes were like, they were pie-eyed, wide open, and it was like that, that, that moment of eureka. Suddenly they made the connection. That's what we're talking about. So you're going to give people who are here illegally driver's licenses so they can more easily blend in, have a sense of legitimacy they're not entitled to, and work, which is a problem because that means that they're going to be sending money out of the economy and displacing American workers and driving down wages. Where's the good news here? But here's something I want all of you to think about. This past week, terrorism was in the news, not once, but twice. 9-11 was in the news, not once, but twice. For those of you who who are familiar, I, I presume that no matter where you live in the United States, you heard the story about that helicopter that crashed on the roof of a building in midtown Manhattan. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. I don't know what the pilot was thinking. He's deceased. I, I don't want to second guess them, but I did a little single engine flying as a kid. And there's two ways to fly, VFR and IFR. VFR is visual flight rule, IFR instruments. From what I read, he was only certified for visual flight rules. You don't fly into fog if you're not able to fly on instruments. And he did and crashed. It's horrible. And Governor Cuomo immediately ran out into the street and found himself a TV camera. Boy, oh boy. He and Schumer and the bunch of them, they just love those cameras, don't they? And he said something that just kind of got my motor going. He said, I am a New Yorker. This is Governor Cuomo. He said, as a New Yorker, I have PTSD. Every New Yorker who was in New York on 9-11 has PTSD. We all have, um, you know, stress disorders because of it, okay? And he said, as soon as I heard airplane into building immediately what did i think oh my god could this be a terror attack so clearly 9-11 is fresh in his feeble brain 
Meanwhile, if he read the 9-11 Commission report, he would know that it was multiple failures of the immigration system that made 9-11 possible. But the same Cuomo was running around calling ICE agents thugs, which, by the way, has gotten agents injured because assaults on immigration and law enforcement has doubled or tripled in the past year or two. And certainly Cuomo's mouth isn't helping things. And sanctuary cities impede these guys from doing these, the job and these gals from doing their jobs, which, according to the 9-11 Commission, are essential for national security. They made a clear point in the report that a lack of interior enforcement enforcing the laws in cities like New York and elsewhere, the lack of enforcement enabled terrorists to get away with what they got away with. Opportunities to see what was happening were missed. So when you make statements about how ICE agents are thugs, fewer people are willing to come forward. The policies obstruct immigration law enforcement. It makes us more vulnerable to terrorism. Now, the second 9-11 story was John Stewart. And I love what John Stewart did. I don't know if you folks saw this, but they're trying to get money permanently for the victims of 9-11 who were dying terribly because they were exposed to toxins when the towers came down. The cancer rate is off the chart. And it's now about once every week, once every 10 days, a first responder or one of the people who worked on what came to be known as the pile, digging through the rubble, looking for human remains, looking for artifacts, trying to help families find closure. At least one every week or 10 days is now dying because of their exposure to the toxin. Think how horrible that is. We lost just a few more on 9-11 than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Think of these numbers. Now, it took the Japanese fleet to attack Pearl Harbor, but just 19 terrorists to wreak havoc on America. And that disaster reverberated around the world and is still reverberating in terms of how we do business and so forth. 19 hijackers. It's all it took. So we, we have a situation now where people are dying. Tens of thousands of people are dying. Over $6 billion, if I have the number correctly, has been spent on what was known as the Zadruga bill. Zadruga was a police officer, the first that we know who died because of 9-11 related toxins being ingested. Over $6 billion. So people say, where are we going to get the money to do what we need to do? How could we not afford to? So now this, the House passed the bill because John Stewart chewed them out. Almost nobody showed up for the hearing. And it reminded me of a hearing that I did before the Senate. My wife came with me, and she was so frustrated that there were only like two or three senators there. She said, this is a travesty. And I said, well, you shouldn't say things like that. The more I think about it, the more I said, you know, she's right. It is a travesty. Yes, we do put the material into the congressional record, but the average American doesn't read that. Either they see it on the evening news or they don't. If they don't see it on the evening news, it didn't happen. That's just the reality of where we are. So the members of the Congress were nowhere to be found. But it's remarkable when Inflategate happened over the damn football, every seat was taken. When I testified at the hearing, because the commissioner was there about how two dead terrorists got permission to go to flight school, every seat was filled, and all of the staffers were present, lining the wall, standing room only, because there was 100 news organizations from all over the world. And once again, I remind you that Washington is Hollywood for ugly people, okay? Oh, the media is there. The cameras that get it. Oh, we got to be on TV. Here's my photo up. But here is John Stewart, accompanied by all of these people, many of them, most of them, first responders, put their lives on the line, and they are dying. They're getting chemo. They're with oxygen masks. They're in wheelchairs. They are suffering immeasurably. But Congress couldn't show up. But they want to know why Donald Trump's people won't go to the hearings, but they themselves won't go to the hearings when it's not the picture that they want out there, the people dying from 9-11-related disease. Think how disgusting this is. Think about this disconnect. And John Stewart, God bless him, called them out. He said, where are you? Do your damn job. So Congress next day unanimously passed the, the bill to provide the money. But you get the point about my frustration. And you get the point about 9-11 rearing its ugly head. So now let's continue back to the driver's licenses. And here's my question. Do any of you have any 
re- recollection of any terror attack involving airplanes since 9-11? And the answer is no. To my knowledge, and I've been digging far and wide, no airplanes have since been used in terrorist attacks. Now, probably it's because we're being a lot more careful. No argument. And, I, and I'm all for being careful. I don't want a window seat on a cruise missile, okay? But what has become most prevalently the weapon of mass destruction around the world? What have the terrorists been using to carry out mass casualty attacks? Motor vehicles. Motor vehicles. We saw it in Europe, and we saw it on the west side of Manhattan when eight people were killed, mowed down by the guy that rented a truck and used it to mow down those innocent people on the bike path. Motor vehicles. So we're going to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens, and we can't verify their identities. They're undocumented. That means they have no way, or they don't want us to see, authentic identity documents. What could possibly go wrong? The 9-11 hijackers, according to the 9-11 Commission and the aggregate, used nine, I'm sorry, used over 360 false names or variations of false names to conceal themselves and their movements as they went about their deadly preparations. Driver's licenses were critical. So critical <clears throat> that the terrorists specifically went to the states where they knew they could easily get a driver's license and, and they did so under false identities to be able to conceal themselves and their movements. This is the lessons of 9-11. That's why we had a 9-11 commission report. They issued the report so we don't do it again. When Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, they convened a commission to make, to make sure that we didn't have another space shuttle blow up. The same thing when Columbia disintegrated. They had another commission to figure out what went wrong. When an airliner crashes, the FAA and the NTSB come out Why? If they can figure out why the airplane crashed, like we saw with Boeing, they may ground the airplanes. Why are they grounding the airplanes? They don't want to make more smoking holes in the ground and kill people. So we had a 9-11 commission report. They spent a gazillion dollars on it, interviewed many, many, many people. I was one of them. And for all that effort, no one even talks about the findings or recommendations about the goddamn 9-11 commission. Explain that to me. Iran is ratcheting up their hostilities. We've been warned at hearings that they're working with human traffickers to smuggle sleeper agents into the United States. We've seen sleeper agents arrested one, two weeks ago, naturalized citizen, and we gave this kid an education which qualified him to do some serious damage. He has a degree in biomechanical engineering, and he admitted that he was working for Hezbollah in the United States, in the United States with another guy. And there are others, and many others but we're going to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. And there was a state senator who went before in, in, in Albany, and he stood there and said, we make much too much of a big deal about driver's licenses and people driving without licenses. We're much too strict. And then you hear the story about some guy that, that hits a school bus or runs over a child, and they say, well, the guy had 48 suspensions on his license. 48? What happened is the guy had no license. And he's out there and drove a car again and drove a car again and drove a car again. Why? Because what's the consequences? Almost nothing. And people are getting mowed down and people are getting killed, even if they're not terrorists. Dead is dead is dead. Drunk drivers, no license, caught driving drunk again, and now they kill somebody. Well, now they're going to finally go to jail. Had they not been able to get their hands on a car, those people that they mow down would be alive. But we don't care because there's a bigger issue. We have got to protect, quote, unquote, the immigrants, actually illegal aliens from detection. So we're making a mockery of our laws. We don't have a need for a legal immigration system anymore, folks. Why are we spending money on a legal immigration system when you can come here any damn way you want? This is silly. I remember when Lou Barletta was a member of Congress, and we're good friends, and I said to Lou, he was driving home from Washington. We used to chat while he would be behind the wheel on his way either to Washington or from Washington. I said, I have a cartoon in my head. He said, what's that? I said, picture Wiley Coyote in the desert. There's a door in a frame in the middle of nowhere. And Wiley Coyote is banging on the door. And Roadrunner won't let him in. 
so he doesn't simply walk around the door. He just stands there upset that he can't get in. What's the point of having a legal immigration system when you can sidestep it very easily? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And once they're here, no one's looking for them. In fact, the statistic just came out that 90% of the people who apply for political asylum when they run the border never show up for the hearing, 90%. It's just a ploy to get into America. And in this game of hide-and-seek, they hide and there's nobody to seek by design because neither party wants ICE agents. That's why you've got 6,000 ICE agents and why ICE is ICE, Customs and Immigration. Customs has nothing to do with immigration. It was just another way of obstructing immigration law enforcement by the federal government. And they put that damn contraption of an agency into DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. If you think it's part of Homeland Security, why do you only have 6,000 agents? And why did you mix them in with all these other agencies and all these other responsibilities? They are more concerned, or at least up until recently, they were more concerned with people that produce counterfeit Gucci loafers than counterfeit passports. If they put people in jail for two years for driving without a license, people would stop driving without a license. But then what would the quote-unquote undocumented do? Why don't they have a comparable law on driving without a license that we do with guns? You get caught with an unlicensed gun in New York. I don't care what your story is. You're going to jail for at least two years. At least two years. And I remember when my dad turned over the keys to the family car when I was 18 years old, he looked me in the eye and he said, Mike, that car has the potential to kill more people than a handgun. Be careful. Great analogy. So if you can go to jail for two years for possessing a firearm without a proper license, you ought to go to jail for two years if you're caught driving a weapon, a car, without a license, you would think. So, of course, the solution to the problem is give illegal aliens licenses, even though we can't verify their identity. Make it easier for them to embed themselves in our communities so if they're fugitives or members of gangs or cartels or, God forbid, terrorist organizations, no one will know who they are until there's a loud, earth-shaking kaboom. Welcome to the twisted world of American politics, where American, in fact, all lives lost are speed bumps on the path to globalism. That's how they see us. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is far more fixated on headcounts at the baseball stadiums and cruise liners and airplanes than they are with body counts in the morgue. This is simply another example of how we are being betrayed by our supposed elected representatives. The idea of giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens violates the 9-11 Commission, violates the Real ID Act, but nobody cares. It's about the money. Follow the money. And after all, funeral homes and the people that make coffins and all those other industries I guess they like the work. They want more money. So if more people die, they'll be busy. That's where we are today, folks. I hate to be the bearer of doom and gloom, but we're living in a very dangerous era. And the reality is that we've gotten into this mess because we, the people, have failed in our responsibilities to keep our elected representatives accountable. They are our employees, and they need to be treated as such, and they need to be reminded that we are not the fools that they had hoped we are. Please get involved. If you find my program to be helpful, if you find my information uh, over at Front Page Magazine or dmlnews.com or especially michaelcutler.net, please forward it to as many people as you can. Encourage them to be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. Please, folks, you know, We've got to do this together. We're in this together, and we've got to help each other out so that we can preserve this wonderful country that we call America for ourselves and especially for our children and for their children. And as I always like to do, I want to remind you once again, democracy is not a spectator sport. I I thank you for joining me, and I hope you'll be tuning me in again next week, same time right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And for those of you who are fathers out there, 
have a happy Father's Day and to keep up the great work, taking care of that number one responsibility, being a parent to our children. Good night.